motorcycles and misfits coming to you from the recycle garage in sunny santa cruz california hey everyone this is liza and uh everyone else is missing not everyone darling just about oh come on it's just you and me it's like the old days basically Hey everyone, this is Liza. Now, I think it'd be easier to say, who's not here? Well, John's not here, he's in Daytona. Knock's not here, well, you know, fuck knock. Uh, <laughs> I know I told everyone to stop saying that, but Emma, do you agree with me? No, fuck knock. There, okay. Do you, do you know what his excuse is? He was here, said he was going to stay, and then he leaves right before. No, do you know what his excuse was? He's got homework. How old is knock? He's a 45-year-old man, and he has homework. Yes. And that's Miss Emma. Hello, darlings. I see Jim's not here. He's, I don't know. And Bagel is having technical difficulties, but he's looking so marvelous. Oh, he in his is. Vespa scooter jacket. Let's see if we can get his mic to work. He's Bagel, trying. He's darling. Trying. Are no. you, are, can you hear me, Major Tom? <laughs> Oh. He can hear us, but we can't hear him. Oh, I can lip read, though. He's speaking in tongues. He's, he, yes. <laughs> oh, that wasn't very nice, Bagel. <laughs> well, Bagel's going to have to try and figure that out. In the meantime, Emma. We yes, had, darling. We had another wonderful day in the garage We today. had the most fantastic day in the garage. It was absolutely wonderful. But we also had a fantastic day yesterday. So we went for a nice little ride and went and visited uh, our friend, Rob Talbot, and had fun hanging out. And you know what? I mean, Rob is always good company. Um, We took a little spin out to um, the museum. Yeah, in Carmel Valley. In Carmel Valley. Um, You were riding your Africa twin. Yes. And I was on Dear Rufus. Oh, God, I was having so much fun on him. That isn't what you started on, though. No, I actually started. So um, my my best friend, Mike Beck, bought himself a brand new Royal Enfield Meteor 350. And he's been keeping it at my house. Not meatless. Not meatless. It's Meteor. (laughs) Actually, you know, I should get some side panel stickers made up instead of (laughs) M-E-T-E-O-R. It's M-E-A-T-I-E-R, the Meteor 350. Um, What a charming bike. Here's the thing. I want that bike to be successful. I'm not sure why I'm so rooting for it. Um, It's it's a brilliant bike. I know it's an underpowered street bike well just hang on. no 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 hold on i know it's an underpowered for 350 compared to mo- modern 350s that we have but i want it to kind of replace like the ninja 250 the rebel 250 to be another good option for people who want a low displacement smaller bike well, did you, did you just i think it looks cool just hang on there what I mean, I am the first to admit I haven't ridden a Rebel 300 in a year or so. But that Royal Enfield is is not... If it is slower, I would be surprised. It's certainly got a little punch to it. It's a Royal Enfield. How much punch can it have? Oh, you'd be surprised. It's The thing that it makes up for for lack of power, it's very, very smooth. 
and the transmission is just delightful. Well, here's the thing. Most of the classic or retro trend bikes are bigger bikes. Right. This one is for newer or younger riders, not necessarily it's not a big bike i kind of i kind of like it. it's that retro classic it's got a great style to it it's classic cruiser but not too cruisery it's just a dropped seat i, I yeah I, i'm rooting for it i want it i i want it to succeed yeah no and i think it will price is great um Quality control seems really, really good. Oh, that's good to hear. I mean, nothing's rattled off it so far. I did the first service on it, and because it was Mike, I just went front to back Mm -hmm. and did everything. And nothing was out of spec. Nothing looked particularly gruesome. The engine oil, even though it was that really thin braking oil, it came out pretty clean. Valve clearances needed nothing. Plug gap needed nothing. I mean, it was really, I was absolutely tickled about how nice it was to do the first service on. Wait a minute. We might have success. Bagel, are you there? I'm here. Oh, it's the dulcet tones of the bagler. I've never been so happy to hear your golden ginger voice, Bagel. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Emma. Oh, you're welcome, darling. So, yeah, wonderful ride, hanging out with Rob, and we're working on things. I'm, I'm just going to say... We've got plans in the works, and we're going to hold our cards pretty close to our chest. We are, but I just for... Because we've had people out there say they may want to come out. I am working on putting together a fabulous party for our 500th episode. Right. And it is going to be open to anyone and everyone. And I would hope people would come out. Look, we're talking about, wouldn't it be fun to do like a barbecue Friday night, a big party all day Saturday with a ride and a couple rides, and then maybe come hang out in the garage on Sunday? Like a weekend with the Misfits. What could be better? Oh, I can't. Sounds like a lot of fun. I know, right? So we're working on putting that together. Um, also, you know what else I've been working on? Ta-da! The new website. It's yeah. great. It's very professional. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's. I mean, what the? <laughs> it's it's light on content because it's new, but what's there is great. And I'll, I'll I'll be honest. I'm not good at that stuff. Bagel knows. And I finally found a um. I guess a, developer. A, well, an app or whatever that I understand and I can build stuff out easy. It's one of those just you know fill in the blank kind of ones but it's letting me add all the stuff that i've wanted to add so that's great um and then um oh yeah all the shirts went out all of them (laughs) yeah yeah all the shirts went out. wait a minute last week when i was here yeah when i went through your living room it looked like the shirt mountain yeah i shipped out almost 200 shirts good lord i know yeah, so if you Our haven't shirts. seen yours yet, it should be coming in soon. And, uh, yeah. When you, when you do see your shirt, your draw will – your drawers – your jaw will drop because they are so awesome. It's my favorite, I think. It, it's a really nice-looking shirt. It's a great-looking shirt. I liked the, the, the red outline ones with the cartoonish writing. But mm-hmm. this one is something else completely. Yeah, it's it's, it's like it's it's glowing. 
Anyway, um, if you if any of you hear some odd crunching, I, I was given something by Henry, and it is tiramisu almonds, artificially and naturally flavored, net weight zero point three five ounces, ten grams, one hundred and fifty calories in the bag, and I mean, I couldn't resist, so I'm going to start chomping on these. So forgive me. Are you going to mute me? Uh, I should. <laughs> I should. Um, oh God! <laughs> they look like little. They look like little turds. So I want to. I want to. Uh, it's like a little rabbit poo. Oh God! Oh, God. oh no! Oh and uh, oh. So. <laughs> oh God! John is in Daytona. I don't know if you guys have seen oh. the videos and the pictures yeah, John's coming been out of Daytona. Crashing gold wings over oh, bridges. My gosh. <laughs> I thought that Sturgis was the deadliest rally. Well, but I haven't heard of any deaths. The crashes are incredible because they're going around in this circle. And when they crash, they just keep sliding and sliding. Yep. Um, It's crazy. And then did you guys see the thing about the gold wing that went over the drawbridge? Yes. Did you see this bagel? Oh, no. Yeah. So a gold wing with a trailer seemed to bust through. I, I, I mean... All the details are kind of spotty, but basically I said it was raining out and a gold wing with the trailer crashed through the arm or the bear. The, yeah. And went up the bridge as it was raising. And then the gold wing went over the edge and the trailer hooked on the lip. Oh, geez. Yeah. And I haven't heard the story about is the rider okay? Were they just having trouble seeing in the rain or were they like having a medical thing or were they trying to jump the gap with a gold wing with a trailer? Because I want (laughs) that to be the right answer. I think we all want that to be the right answer. I think, I mean, obviously the only thing that stopped that gold wing was when the, the hitch that hitch held, held it and it was kind of dangling over the edge, but dear God. Yeah. The gold wing is dangling over the edge, man. What? Lunacy at Daytona. But you talk about the crashes. You know, famously, Barry Sheen crashed at Daytona in 75, and he went down at 172 miles an hour, which at that time was the fastest recorded crash, motorcycle crash, up to that point. And he was on a prototype Suzuki 500, and the tires just blew out. They couldn't handle the speed, the sustained speed. And yeah. he lost a tire at 172 miles an hour. Uh, I've heard that they've had a lot of rain, which is making things uh, interesting. Interesting. There's one. Um, it wasn't a wreck. It was a save. But um, and I don't remember who it was. But um, riders going around the, the the turn, and one of them went wide as he was accelerating, and he hit the wall, the high wall. Oh, I saw that. Bounced up in the air, came back down, and got knocked across the line of traffic kind of clipping three different people and nobody went down they all yeah i saw that it was great save it's wild wow pucker moments yeah that was that was pucker inducing and no mistake gov you know and yeah uh, is that an event that we want to consider going to i just i don't know i mean with all the racing it looks kind of fabulous yeah i mean you'd go not just for the racing, you'd go for the spectacle. And the baggers? Yes. Uh, I don't even saw there was one of the, the heats where 
guy in the back took off and his bike just launched and he had passed almost everyone before like the turn first turn it was crazy there's so much power and then he literally you could see that back wheel as he's starting to get in that turn that and still accelerating that back wheel started sliding around he was at the edge of the Ad- power and and friction and all the things at the edge of adhesion yes that's the word yes yes um so while we're waiting for our guests to come, because we got cool topics tonight. Oh God, yeah. Um. Also, oh, I owe you money. You bought me something yesterday that I'm quite excited about. Yes. Yes. And it's my gift to you, Liza. Oh no, I still owe you some money, but um, this is just uh, I'm going to say a hot tip because you know I love a deal. Oh yeah, I love a deal. And we stopped in at Cycle Gear because I was uh, yes, wanted to check out some helmets. And they have a line of Sedici, um uh, wet-dry bags of all different sizes that are – some of them are small to strap on to like your, um, you know, your engine guards or something, right? And then all the way up to backpacks, right. saddlebags, everything, and they are cheap. So I got this uh, – you could fit like um, a two-liter bottle of – soda in there right uh and it's uh 39.99 for wet dry with all the d-rings and the straps and all the things i love it it's perfect size for me because all my bikes have um like top cases and when you put like a roll of tools in there they bounce around so i wanted to have a smaller bag to put those kind of tools and stuff that just permanently stay in there which was really really cool so thank you for that. And just a hot tip. Check out the Sedici um, wet-dry bags at uh, Cycle Gear. Um, so, Emma. Hello, darling. So our topic tonight, we have we have a, what do you call it? It's, it's, it's an arcing. Do we call it an arcing topic? Uh, yeah, I mean, we can, um, yeah, we can, we can talk about it as forming an arc. And, I mean, I'm really excited about our guest tonight because you know, it, it's got it such a good Something subject. we haven't talked about much, but this ties in with, um, uh, I'll say our, our, our main theme tonight is choppers. Yes, I know. Like choppers. I mean, that thing that used to be cool that isn't cool anymore. Well, first of all, you know, when the whole chopper scene was happening, like, 2000 to really 2000 2010 it was right it was it's when it's right? when they came back i mean they really made inroads back in like 98 99 yeah. and it really got a foothold around the 2000s i was all in yes i loved it no i know you were uh i went down to west coast choppers just to stand outside the gate and watch uh jesse james fabricating like i w- i loved it i loved the you know the uh, the the really the the craft the artisan art. You know when Jesse James was doing, he actually like right hand you know hammered his fenders, and it was really about the craft. And yeah. um, yeah, I built my own chopper. I had I, I watched all those chopper building shows, and I actually really love seeing the tooling that they use. And yes, I'll even say like Orange County Choppers, which kind of was when it kind of 
the arc petered out. But I, I love seeing like those boring tools to bore out um, pipe uh, to fit pipes together, and like this, and yeah. the bending and making jigs. And even though a lot of their bikes were just bolting parts on, they still fabricated things. I loved that. I I want more of that. I can't get enough of that fabrication. You know? Yeah. I mean, we all love building bikes. My my craft, as you well know, I love building these resto mods, which is where I found my happy place. But choppers, I've always just so admired that scene. I'm just not cool enough to be in it. Did you ever do a chopper? Um, yes, I did. And it was it was actually quite a righteous build, but it was it was clunky because I, I was out of my comfort zone. I did silly things like instead of having a twenty one inch front wheel, I had a nineteen inch front wheel and you know the mm-hmm. forward controls were a bit clunky ish and you know. It wasn't where I was at. So I don't know if I ever told you why. I built a chopper. Why did you build a chopper? See, it is kind of interesting. So um, this is before the Recycle Garage was here. Yeah. And I had, at the time, I had a Roadstar. I had a BMW R1100RT. I had a GPZ1100, and I had a GB500. Surely you mean a GPZ, though. So when I moved here, I had like four great running bikes. Yes. And I'd worked on bikes before, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I was getting into it. And I was, I, this is that moment when I said, I want to, I want to get into, I want to become a better mechanic. And I had a couple choices. I was looking into, you can go to MMI. It was like 10 grand. You can learn to become a mechanic. Or I figured I could just buy 10 grand's worth of parts and teach myself. So I did. I started buying parts. I started buying tools. And, and really, the garage that is set up right now that we use for Recycle Garage, it was set up originally for my chopper building it, which took a couple of years to build. Okay. Um, so that was kind of, I mean, it ties into the beginning of the garage and me building up all the tools that you need and, you know, learning to weld and learning to right. do all these things. And being inspired by the TV shows. Right. And I, well, I mean, I, I built a really cool bike. We've all taken a journey that has brought us here. And your journey, I mean, if you look at the origins mm-hmm. of the Recycle Garage, yeah, you could probably find it in that chopper. The origins for me are in the vintage bikes I've built. Yeah. And I, I really thought that bike was cool. I enjoyed it. But, you know, I got rid of it, I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't have anyone to ride with because no one else had choppers. Everyone here were already riding sport bikes and super motors. But the biggest reason I got rid of it, um, you know, when you're spending like $1,000 on a set of forward controls, you know, like Pro One forward controls, we live so near the ocean that within a year, I had chrome flaking off in sheets yeah, of these parts I paid a lot of money for. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't maintain and keep the bike clean and, and too close to the ocean for that, that much Chrome. Also the quality of Chrome by that point was pretty crappy American Chrome. 
I don't blame the companies. A lot of it was all the restrictions and everything. I think the best chrome is really like 60s England because I know people died for that chrome. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. Cyanide was part of the process. People have to die to have good chrome. So (laughs) so, um, I ended up trading that bike away. um, But it was cool. But you know what? For me, it was the process of building it. Right. And And that's your origin mm -hmm. of the Recycle Garage. Yeah. Oh, I hear a sound. Oh, you know who's joined us? <laughs> it's everyone's second favorite ginger. It's Brandon. Konnichiwa. Hey. Hey, boffin hey, in the house. <laughs> and uh, happy to be back. Yeah. So, um, y- you were brought in for a special reason tonight. Um, let me see, mm-hmm. William. Or do you want to keep waiting for Matt, or do you want to start getting into it? All right. He said, "Let's let's." Yeah, he should be joining probably in the next minute or two. So um, I'll leave it up to you guys. No problem, because we got some really cool stuff. I'll I'll just start the introduction. Why we got Brandon here, who hasn't been on in a while. Why we got William here. All the things. So I said tonight is about choppers. Well, one of the, the, the topics is there's this great film that was recently oh God, came it's, out. It's great. Called The Roost. Yes. And it is about the Japanese chopper scene. Oh, I got to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and William, if you didn't know, Brandon uh, lived in Japan. He So he's familiar with kind of the scene a bit, too. That's why we brought him in. He's our ringer. Um, William, Nihongo dekiru? Oh, shit just got real, man. Knock it off, you two. I'm going to do this all in English. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, the Japanese um, chopper scene is fascinating. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we really do need to start exploring different countries have different scenes. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that. Remember that movie I had in one of our film festivals about, I think it was the um, Indonesian scooter scene yeah they they're making like, them out of logs, logs they're making them yeah. out of wood and stuff it was yeah, crazy. Just crazy right yeah i love seeing other countries and what they do and and japan has a history well i'll tell you a little bit about my story with japan okay. with english bikes mm. back in the early 90s um, I was involved with vintage bikes even back then, back home in England. This was just before I came to the States. And we sent a lot of bikes to Japan. Standard, just Bonnevilles, BSA Lightnings, BSA Thunderbolts, anything that was classically British. And mm-hmm. Japanese culture, when they grab something, they grab it and run with it. Yeah. And Whenever we sold a bike, about three or four months later, we'd get this delightful picture back of this young man who's bought the bike, and he was in the gear. The black leather jacket with the badges and the chains, dark Mm -hmm. denim pants with the long boots with the white socks turned over the top, the traditional Mm -hmm. pudding basing helmet. It was like being back in England in the 60s. It was wonderful to see. Mm. And a lot of it was based on the look of the bike. And so I know that when when they have an interest for something, it's full on. It's all in. 
so that's called otaku. And um, what it is, is it's sort of like Asperger's, but with <laughs> something that you really like, that's actually <laughs> cool, though. And right. you just like dive completely into it. Unfortunately, otaku can also be things that are not cool. Um, and they can smell. Uh, but uh, th- this is literally, I'm, I'm just telling you how Japanese people view this thing. But you can be what's called a bike otaku. And that means you're like, your entire, <laughs> we're all bike otaku here, actually. Um, like your oh, life sort of. Is it like motosexual? Absolutely. Yeah. That <laughs> motosexual would be a great, well, that'd be a different type of otaku. They probably have stores for that over there. Uh, maybe vending machines. Um, if so, anybody knows what I'm talking about. So one of the best stories I heard, we had, we had this car in England in the 1960s called the Vandenplas Princess 1100. And the best way to describe a Vandenplas princess, if you imagine a Rolls Royce that's the size of a Mini, that's exactly what it was. It was a tiny little Rolls Royce thing. And we sent thousands of these things in the 90s over to Japan. They absolutely loved this. And it was almost like a live-action role-playing thing. We'd get these pictures of these guys dressed up in suits and the girls were dressed up like they were going to the Ascot races with the hats, sipping tea in the back of these cars. It was brilliant. Oh, my. Oh, I miss Japanese culture so much. It's man. fantastic. So I think s- one, one thing that, and I'm sure we'll get into it more later, and Matt can, can, can add more to it, but it, it's not, you know, when we went around filming this over the two years, I realized it's not, it's not fake either. Oh, no, it's like they're very not, real. It, it's, it's not like they're just dressing up like, like cosplaying or wearing a costume it's like they kind of really dig it it's and there's a lot of heart behind it yeah and i think you 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 meet these people and like first you're like whoa this is so like what year is it you know like <laughs> you know it's like over there's some what 60s over there's some 80s but then like you sit down and you chat with people and like they're kind of just like this is like it's like what they do you know it's kind of it's not like a right yeah, it takes it beyond. It's not just like it's not just otakuism, like this kind of like obsession with this thing. It's kind of like they've turned it into like a cool little facet of their life. Yeah, and you know what I mean. And that's the thing that I kind of figured out is it. It really is. It's it's a it's an absolute lifestyle thing, mm. um, and it it's everything about it is just wonderful. Mm. Oh, I think he's joined us. Matt, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey. Right. Um, we, so we need to, we need to cover this, uh, Matt. Where are you you are calling in from? Uh, calling in from Sydney, Australia, at the moment. Nice and wow. and and uh, that's we'll, tomorrow. We'll, it's tomorrow already in Sydney, oh, isn't it? Is this it, is a time traveling podcast. I literally am calling back from the future. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How is it on Monday morning, darling? It's been, look, it's been a great week. They actually just skipped straight to Tuesday this week. It was, everyone voted. We're just like, nope, we're going in heavy. And and we, these and, Mondays. And Will, where are you calling in from? Uh, I'm calling just outside of Tokyo in Saitama. So and it I'm, is also tomorrow morning whoa, in Tokyo, it is. isn't it? <laughs> it is also. Hell. It's a beautiful, sunny. Uh, it's, it's sunny. It's like 10:30 in the morning here. So. I I have to say, your background is absolutely delightful. I'm. So, Absolutely fascinated with everything that's is that, going on is that behind Portland? you. So actually, this is—it's not a photo. It's a—it's a still image from um, an, an animated movie here. Oh, cool! It's, it's from the uh, uh, the um, 
animated series called Evangelion. And it's one of my favorite directors. And mm. uh, it's, it was, I don't know, I just thought it was such a beautiful image. And it was, uh, I think I just put it up as my Zoom background a couple of months ago. And I was like, I'm going to keep this up. It's really oh, nice. going to guess you're in your 30s, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I know that show so well. Like ah. that was on Toonami. And like, this is exactly what all of the nerds like me, I'm calling you a nerd, man. Um, watched when we were in high school yeah well nice. darlings i'm older still so i remember monkey magic and eon <laughs> yeah. flux oh monkey magic do you know okay. the band all Monkey right. magic all right okay. all y'all simmer down <laughs> simmer down hey so we got matt and will here to talk about the japanese motorcycle scene and and the movie the roost which right. really highlights and shows it so the 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 scene that you guys well you know let me get, let me let you guys talk about it because I think a lot of people here still have an idea of choppers based upon the last trend here where it kind of got out of control and they're not as cool anymore but in Japan it's wicked cool you want to talk about the scene there and and how you came to make the movie yeah look I'll I'll jump in absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was a big part of what drew me to the country. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. is this is a country that's so into motorcycles that a niche is always on song for everything. It's not sort of cycling, you know, out of fashion. There are people who are just who are just living this. You just got to go and find them. Um, before um, you say anything more, can we talk a little bit about who you are? You do you have a background in filmmaking? Do you have a background in motorcycling? I, I have a background in motorcycle design, so I actually, mm. you know, I, I popped out of the uh, tertiary education machine as an industrial designer, um, doing carbon fiber motorcycles Ooh, uh, and stuff, wow. and then moved into electric. But that's a whole other story. But suffice oh. to say, we electric. You don't yeah. say. He's an no, electric. Ma- yeah, Brandon's an early. electric wackadoo. This, this is early electric. This is you know mm. late nineties. Um, when carbon fiber was still a thing and we couldn't work out how to get metal to stick to it effectively. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's where I kind of began the story. But Japan, through all of that training, you know, like this is sort of 80s into 90s. I mean, it, we're, we're all just there looking in from afar, you know, like noses and faces pressed to the glass uh, of this incredible country, uh, which was driving the world. So, yeah, it was a case of i, I, I got to get there. i got to get there. And I kind of hit... Hit you know early career and just went no nah, that's it everything burn it all burn it all to the ground and um, and you know jump ship and head over there and, uh, and and make it a reality and start living it so yeah that's that's where that story begins for me but that was you know that that started in the nineties and it became a reality in two thousand and five I think Will's probably got a similar similar uh, sort of story of passion but around filmmaking yeah <laughs> oh yeah, so just- Will you're the filmmaker. Yes, yeah. I uh, I came here in two thousand and like two thousand eight uh, with a with a friend of mine, and we started doing um, creative work and film, uh, kind of here and there, freelance and on the weekends, and they kind of turned into a career. And then um, we met Matthew. I don't know what year two thousand like ten eleven. Yeah, what was that? Been, yeah, might have been. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, ten. A long what? time ago but now. Hang on, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. there's, and I'm, I'm sorry to focus on you too, but I always like to give a background of, of who's talking. There's an elephant in the room. Will, you're still there, Matt. You're back in Australia. Um, is that temporary, Matt? Are you going to go back to Japan, or is Australia your home now? 
Look, I'm probably going to have to get the Japanese government on the line for that one. Oh, okay. Um, I, yeah, I got, I got stuck in transit and uh, was kind of a victim of the you know, Australian government saying don't go anywhere. Australians oh, right. leave mm. and uh, couldn't go home. But that's, that's not a unique story at all. Yeah, so you're back uh, home under yeah. duress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully, <laughs> okay. Hopefully the, the Japan adventure will continue <laughs> one month soon, you know. <laughs> So don't, don't hold your breath. Are there, oh, are there... I've got some guys to introduce you to over there. The I did Pike speak with the uh, Blue Thunder uh, down in Hamamatsu. I like a whole bunch of these guys in Hamamatsu. You guys will love them next time I'm back in Japan. I'm just curious. Might we see in Japan bumper stickers that say free mat? Ooh. <laughs> I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. It's, a, it's a grassroots movement. Re- release mat. <laughs> So, so Matt, you're the biker guy, and and Will, you're the film guy. That's and, correct. And so, I, I love Matt. So you, yeah, Matt, you discovered that the chopper scene, the bike scene, is really cool. And Will, were you a uh, a writer before this? No, I am. I'm not a writer, actually. Not a writer um, at all. No, but I've always had a a, a great respect for for bike uh, motorcycles and, and and riding culture. Well, I've always thought it was incredibly cool. So for me, the the, the roost and the, the the projects I've done with Matthew were were like a like my entry into kind of the whole culture. And I would but think he, that's but perfect. He tells the story. He tells the story of <laughs> yeah. motorcycling better than any motorcycles I know. In, in, yeah. in hand on my heart, I mean, I you know I meet a lot of people, and no one can crystallize it like Will can. So the the the, the Japanese chopper scene that we're talking about is not the crazy sparkle paint you know big front wheel bagger kind of things this is they're back to the retro cool that's what what came back is the just the the backyard build kind of look right yeah i i think it never went away yeah and i think it was almost like an allergic reaction to you know like 80s and 90s this was japan was really just recycle everything Mm-hmm. So you had a vacuum of, you know, vintage. There was nothing older than a couple of years. If you remember, they were flooding the world, you right. know, like these used machines that were cheap. Everyone was like, wow, I can get, you know, low kilometer, 18 month old. So there was really nothing. They were without it. And this was born out of a reaction to that. It was like, well, hang on. There is no patina. There is no flavor. It's it's shiny new or shiny newer. Right. Um, right. And that's that's where it kind of came about. I think really kicked into gear in the 90s. So it was kind of about 10, 12 years before, you know, the, the rest of the world kind of follows suit just because they were subject to that environment, you know, a, a lack of it. And most of these bikes are Harleys, right? They're American big twin. There's there's a whole mix. There's a whole mix. Yeah. There's, a, there's a bunch of Indians. There's Harleys. Yeah. There's I saw a lot, a lot of, of triumphs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 A lot of British stuff floating around. Yeah, that that goes with the chopper scene here. Before it blew up and got out of control, um, you going back to like the really the sixties, seventies chopper scene when it was you had Hondas, you had Triumphs, you had Harleys, you had everything, and that seems to be kind of the era that the Japanese are really into. And you get these great builders making really cool functioning bikes which is what I like about it too. Uh, Matt, what is it what, that really draw you to it? Look, I think it's the fact that they go down the rabbit hole so hard and so fast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, being here back in, this is not, this is not sort of um, 
talking down about any other nation, but I'm just saying these guys are just experts at the deep dive. And as an industrial designer, for me, I love to geek out on that detail. You know, I love to sort of that second, third look is only the beginning for me. Right. Um, and it's it's there. It's there. You know, there's other builders around, but just not in the degree of concentration and there's not the kind of the ability to have a whole gaggle of people around you on any Saturday or Sunday. And you know that, what? You know? As a builder myself, what drew me so much was that detail. You know, when I build a bike, I can get the bike 90% there in six months. And then that remaining 10%, I can take a year. I can take 18 months just on that remaining 10%. So I know the craft and I know the value of that work. And these guys are absolutely unsurpassed. It blew me away. The detail is... And there's there's a Japanese look to the bikes, and I haven't quite Mm. figured it out yet. And whether it's the materials or just the precision of the way they're bolted together, there is a very unique look to the bikes, even in the nostalgia. Mm-hmm. You can, I can see one of those bikes and I can say, that is a Japanese builder. Mm-hmm. Because it's there's just something. And I'll, I'll figure it out. It might take me a while. But there's something very unique about them. It's absolutely, it's captivating to see. No, look, it is. And I think, you know, like when I'm out there at these events uh, or at a builder's workshop and I'm watching what Will's capturing, you know, like there's, there is so, again, so many levels that you can play with. You know, when Will's, Will's thinking in terms of light, and Will, I'll let you talk about this, but the, the finishes and, you know, like the dreamscape that he's able to create because of that degree of execution is phenomenal. Will, do you want to... Sort of talk a bit about that. Yeah, it was just funny. I was thinking, like, I guess because just objectively speaking, like when when I was filming a lot of this content, it never occurred to me that what I was looking at was as special as it actually was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Kind of if you're if you're in a room full of motorcycles and you're like, okay, I'm here to film this. I'm here to make something look good. But then you, you kind of forget to actually look at the actual bikes. You know, and, and like you were saying um, that. There's a, there's a kind of a, a craft, there's a, there's a quality that exists on these bikes. I didn't realize was kind of unique to, to the scene here. You know, like I've seen other builds and other bikes, oh, that's really great. But you can see this is the Japanese look. This is the look and the quality you see here. And yeah, and I, I think I just got lucky because everything looked so freaking good that my job was really easy, so to speak, in terms of, well, the bikes look good. Now I just have to make sure I frame them uh, perfectly, you know, and I think uh, looking, you know, when I go back and look through the roost, I just go, man, every single bike, just even if we're talking like, uh, you know, a mucked up dirt bike or one of the bikes on the show floor, like I just think they all look so cool. Well, so dare, freaking cool. dare I say it? I think you and you and Matt may be the dream team because not, Matt's got the knowledge of bikes <laughs> and you are not approaching it as a biker. You're right. just approaching it in terms of art and lighting and the way light reflects off a surface and the way the shadows play on a surface. Yeah. And that's that's where the intersection of art and mechanics meet. And so between the two of you, I think that's probably what made the film so good for me. It's beautifully shot. I mean, it's 
it really is an absolutely epically shot film. Content aside, just mm. in terms of the lighting, the composition, the storyline, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a marvelous piece of work. You know, and I'm curious, Will, uh, since you're somebody who's not a writer, that you're you're into the visuals, you're you're seeing these products, and Matt may know. For me, when I look at a you know custom uh, bike, the craftsmanship is in the things you don't see. Meaning, mm. I'm not looking at the tank and the the seat, the thing, the handlebars. Most people, I'm looking at, uh, you know, did they clean up all the welds on the frame, smooth them out? It's mm. how they the pieces fit together like the seat to the tank did they actually fit it together perfectly you know, rather than just bolting parts you know what i'm talking about matt it's these yeah. little details that uh, the untrained eye usually doesn't catch and those are the things i just foam i foam at i'm like oh that's nice and i think that's where like so we had those conversations for many years before we you know jumped into the roots i mean you got to remember this is, you know, running for nearly 10 years for both of us. Mm-hmm. I think we both landed in Japan at a similar time. And in our own, you know, our own specialty. So Will definitely in the sort of the Comic-Con side of things um, <laughs> was noticing. No, 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 seriously. No, 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 no I'm, I'm in on this. Because no, I'm a I, cool guy, I swear. No, <laughs> very cool. Because he, he's embrace your nerd. He's, embrace it. No, no well. he summed it up. He said, you know what? Because we, we traveled around to some of the best shows, right? Mm, and mm. the best events. And he something. He said, "You know what? This is just like cosplay, except the, the superhero here mm-hmm. is this mystical biker from, yeah. you know, Britain, 1965, mm-hmm. right? Or Steve McQueen, yes. or whatever. And it's like, but they execute it, like, yeah, precision. Yeah, there's forgot, a precision to it. I forgot that I said it. that. I forgot no, when we went to that I, first I, one. I was like, this is like Comic Con for motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. And it's totally true. And it's afterwards, it was kind of like a release for me because I was like, that's it." That's what it is. You know, the rest of the world has trouble relaxing and just having it at all. Can we talk mm. a little bit about culture shock? Because, Matt, you're clearly Australian. Will, you're clearly American. Um, Couple of city guys, I'm sure. And here you are in Japan. And, yes, you're drawn to it, but that doesn't make it any easier when you're sort of thrown into this culture. So can we can we talk about just how it was for you when you were fresh off the boat, as it were, immersed in this biker <laughs> culture? <laughs> I'll let you start, Matt. Go ahead. Look, my story begins on a sheep farm, which is a little embarrassing. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a sheep farm. You know, we're talking we're talking nearly off grid, you know what I mean? Um so when I when I first hit Japan, this is ahead of me moving there, but I had never I'd never caught a bus that you had to pay for. I hadn't caught a taxi, mm-hmm. and nor had I. Caught oh a train. my gosh! This must yeah. have been so shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, for me, culture shock. There, yeah, I literally walked off the bus without paying, and the person in front of me turned around and went, "You know, do, like, did you pay?" And I was like, "No, I, I didn't realize we had to." <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a little bit. It was a little bit. Uh, of a different, <laughs> a different movie there, but but thankfully, yeah, it was. I was I was ready for it, but I loved it. I mean, that's probably half of the pleasure is is just knowing that every corner has that. You know, you come around the corner, what's it going to be? What's the adventure going to be? At least that's what it was for me. And whether that was motorcycles or everything, you know, 
the food, the smell, the lights. I mean, I still, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still had those moments where it's just like, oh, I'm in Japan. Like, this is ridiculous. I'm doing a night ride and there's, yeah. there's neon lights and there's stuff, you know, we'd be shooting out of the back of a van. I'm just like, <laughs> this, is, this is ludicrous. Like, someone's going to just stop and go, wait, no, 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 no. This is just hey. Matthew Roberts. Send him back. There's, there's a sheep farm that needs him. You know, we've got the <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of the... It's not a bad life being on a sheep oh, farm. Gosh. Well, no, wait. Don't you use dirt bikes to herd the sheep? You certainly do. Yeah, so see? Whoa. Yeah. Now, I think that's, that, that's cool. I think that was one of the fun things about, you know, Matt, when we were filming this. Like, I think there would be these times where we just stop and kind of look at each other and like, we're, like we're, this is real. Like, <laughs> you know, that was a really cool yeah. thing that we just did. We just did that. You know, like, like and I, I, I you know, just like Matt, I, I'm not. I, I grew up in the countryside as well from outside of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. And then I moved to the city oh, wow. and lived in Philly for about six years before I just kind of showed up in Japan. I had no plan. So I think that Matthew and I have a similar kind of upbringing where we, you know, we know what it's like to be in the middle of nowhere, but then also when you kind of move to these megalopolises and, and kind of re- readjust your lifestyle, um, you know, countryside to the city in America and then a city in America to Tokyo is like a, yeah, it's a city, but it's a. But you were drawn talk. to Japan as well. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. I, I just had an interest in you know. I'd never really been anywhere outside of the the North and Central American continent, so I thought let's wow. let's just do something totally different here. And I think just to kind of answer the question you asked earlier about the kind of culture shock, I, I was surprised. Yes, there's huge differences in kind of how people do things here, but. There's also like a largely warm and 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 uh, yes. welcoming uh, kind of community here, not just uh, amongst foreign expats, but Japanese people. And you know, I think that even I felt that even more so once we started doing the roost as well. Like, I'm a non-rider, and I'm obviously I very stand out very much as a, as a foreigner for going out to these events and you know on the dirt tracks, especially like you guys like yeah, come on over, just you know sit down, have some lunch with us. Like, no judgment, no. You know, like, oh, your Japanese isn't good enough. Nobody really cared. Everyone's just kind of really welcoming and really cool. And I think mm. that I like that side of it. And it's something I thought we really, I really wanted to show in the roost. And I think Matt, you may agree, but it, I, I think it felt, I think the heart was the most important part for me. So obviously shooting it well and having strong visuals mm. and having cool bikes and all that stuff was super important. But I think there's a lot of heart in it in the people and i think that's my experience in japan is there's always these places if you just look hard right. enough you'll find like these really great people doing really great things and, and they welcome you in and don't often ask questions you know mm-hmm. and i think well, that it, yeah. it's community i mean right. we have that here too and that's something that's great about the whole biker thing there's a community that you Abs- tap into no matter where you are and i i've said this over and over again on the podcast and i say it in real life I I viscerally love motorcycles, and I know motorcycles very well. I've been wrenching on them for 45 years. But when you introduce the human element, it's a whole nother league. Without the human element, bikes are just inanimate objects. And it's the culture, and it's the community, and it's the people that keep you going you know you jump on a bike and you're thrilled by how fast it is and the noise it makes and the experience but it's the community that keeps you on the bike year after year after year after year Mm -hmm. and that's what i liked so much 
about the roost. You just explore this delightful, mm-hmm. warm, welcoming community. It, 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 it really was a very overwhelming. So, hey, Matt, think, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say one interesting thing that I noticed between sort of the, the couple of countries that I'd visited as far as, you know, the motorcycle community before really, you know, putting roots in, down in Japan, um, the intimidation factor that seems to be present in some corners of motorcycle culture you know, in mm-hmm. Australia or elsewhere, where it's kind of people riding to, you know, to be bigger than they are or to be a little bit more feared than they are, doesn't seem to be present in Japan. Yeah, right. Um, and it's so it's it's sort of like, a, and the, the plus side of that is that, you know, when I was in Australia and I was trying to date someone, as soon as the parents heard that I was a motorcyclist, like I was on the defensive, you know, I was on the phone to my lawyer, like, honestly, look, I, you know, they've never been able to prove anything. You can leave me in my house. Don't, don't call the police. Don't call the police. It's okay. You know, there was, but over there, it's it's more like just something that everyone does. That's, you know, you'll find people that have been, oh, yeah, I, I was a motorcyclist for two years, SR 400, customs, whatever. And, you know, they're, they're the office clerk at the accountants or the dentist assistant or the school teacher or whatever. So it's kind of, everyone's done it. So there's no stigma and there's no, there's none of the kind of the, wasted time around that intimidation and fear factor and that lets things bloom and flourish so much more quickly and so much more sort of vividly i guess compared to some some other corners of the world and i'm actually drawing some parallel lines to what's going on i i think i mean japan choppers are way cooler there than they are here right now we're still in the fallout from the 10 years ago the, the 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 chopper bikes like i have on the ground here you know it's a super wide tire that's not going to turn well a tiny little sunk down seat that's not really comfortable hardly any lights on it it's not visible i mean what they became was was crazy um and then we kind of went back to the roots and now it's kind of this more vintage thing like what mike builds well i think that that has happened in japan too um because we can trace it back they did a different thing there and I don't know if many people are familiar with the Bosozoku. Did I say it right, Brandon? No. Oh, well, how do you say it? <laughs> You're close. Bosozoku. What did I say? Bosozoku. Your your inflection was all wrong, Liza. Okay. <laughs> and and is there still some of that there? And um, the do you know? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That yeah, kind of yeah, I mean, I, bite yeah. scene. It's it's there. It's there, and it's a. Uh, it's, it's unique. A, it's a funny one. It's you look it is it is unique and the people the people are unique and we could almost do a whole podcast if you haven't done it already on what, what kind of led to the Bosozoku. You know, because it was quite it was quite weird. They were rebels but within the bounds mm-hmm. of the law except for the occasional time, you know, when it kind of Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you'll catch these guys yeah. again flight flight suits, you know, right. the, the long stitch jackets, the thousand stitch mm. jackets and all this sort of stuff. It's it's there, and occasionally you'll meet people who were that, but have had to kind of you know, get down. a haircut. Yeah, yeah. but the, just, just to be clear, they're just barely inside the law. Like back in the seventies, they were certainly outside the law, but nowadays they're like uh, they, they give you a harsh look. They don't actually beat you up, but, um, but they the, still do a lot of scary stuff for the Japanese culture. The thing yeah, I, I find think- interesting: it's not just limited to motorcycles. The Bosozuku culture. There's the car, Bosuzuku, mm. 
And my favorite is the vans, the high ace vans. Oh, the robot <laughs> They're vans. They're just wild. And, and scooters as well. Yeah, it's it's it's, yeah, it's a whole, whole culture within a culture. So yeah. I, I wanted to describe what these bikes are like because this is a crazy, crazy scene. So, Matt, you said you're familiar. Do you want to try and describe how, why this is such a unique custom bike scene? Look, I, I think because it's it's just driven by rebellion. Um, mm-hmm. That's the that's the kind of the that's what it that's what it's about. I mean, you've got a an environment over here where the social pressure is unlike anything anywhere else. You know, if you think you had social pressure growing up in the states, or the UK, or Europe, you, you, you've seen you know. No, no, you haven't even begun. Mm-mm. And Mm-mm. so you've got these young young guys usually, and, and to a degree women, but at a lesser extent. But, you know, this is human beings popping under the pressure, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just just desperate for a way to kind of exist, and that's how they blow off, blow off steam. Now, there's a whole kind of another dark side here with the Nationals Party and the, the fact that they recruit, you know, Bosozoku is basically like an internship for Yakuza if you want. So modern day, so it's it's kind of there. But let's take that out of it for a minute, you know, as a sort of a, a social aspect. Let's look at it from the bikes. And yeah, it was yeah. it was really just about look, how can I be so anti-establishment? You know, they're just they are the original punks. You know, okay, everyone likes quiet, quiet mufflers. Well, how can I have a muffler that is so loud uh, that I can actually play a tune on it? Okay, you know, like everyone else, everyone else, the rule says I have to have a headlight. Well. How far up can that be above my head? You know, there's certain aspects here that the police won't actually book me for, but I'm just going to take those to yeah. to the absolute max. You know, that's and, and I'll ride the same way. I won't go fast, but I will swerve and I will do every you know piece of loopy shit that I can do. Oh, that's like and, how I ride, right, yeah, Lisa? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I've. To, to or from the pub? That's the question. <laughs> so I have this great book here we have in our library in the garage. It's how I learned about it. And it has pictures of all the all these different bikes and, and the people and stuff like that. I want to try and describe it. So we're looking at – well, actually, Emma, I'll let you try and describe this. It, this is like – many of them are Japanese bikes. Like I'm looking at oh, a Honda, probably a small displacement or midsize. Yeah, yeah I mean – 250s and 400s. Yeah, yeah you're, you're looking at a Honda 400 Hawk. And very, very brightly colored. It's got giant Apanga handlebars on it. It looks like probably a Japanese copy of a Rickman fairing, which is pushed so high. And it's pointing up in the sky. And actually, Brandon, you had some insight as to why. Hmm. I'm like, why do they point it at the sky? Your headlight is pointing up at the treetops. Brandon, why is that? Oh, actually, that one, I don't know. I know mostly about the tail of the bike because that's very and, interesting. And the back is doing the same thing. The tail and the fenders are kind of pointing up. Yeah. So what's that What's that about? Well, so so the tail of the bike, there's, there's an interesting thing on there. Um, a lot of Japanese culture has like very traditional roots in uh, certain religious types of things. Mm-hmm. And fertility is a real big one. The tail of the bike, um, a lot of people look at it as a penis. Um, and also the size of the tail of the bike will determine in some of the clubs, um, how, uh, high up you are in the hierarchy of things. At least that's how it was back when I was in high school. Um, and, um, if you've got a bigger tail on your bike, the girls are more attracted to it. 
So exactly, exactly. And if you that, if you think about the hairdo, the recent, you know, the really like over exaggerated hairdo that went yes, as well yes. back in the sixties and seventies. But um, there's also another thing. So if you're out there with bosses of riding, there's usually a pillion on a lot of the bikes, mm-hmm. right? And the leader will actually have a flag bearer. Mm-hmm. So you'll have someone with a massive pole. You know, this is and this is kind of drawing in elements of samurai warfare here, mm. but they will actually have their standard for their club, you know, that's being waved. So you've also it's got a giant. It's, it's giant. It's, yeah, it's 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 like literally pull you off the back of the bike. So I think it kind of stemmed from that as well. It's kind of mm. like there's a functional aspect because you'll see it on scooters and stuff too. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't want to lose my guy because that would be the ultimate in, in uncool is leaving him <laughs> to the cops. You know, I take off and, and my standard bearer is there getting handcuffed. Now, uh, are these are these guys generally hounded by the cops? Are they left alone? I mean, they're, they're people who are obviously on the fringes of civilized and enlightened society. So mm-hmm. are they treated as such by the police or are they generally left alone? They Look, you will, and this is the weird thing, you will find packs of Bosuzuku, especially down towards Fuji. So mm-hmm. basically the townships around Mount Fuji is kind of where they still exist you know in Mm. tokyo you'll you'll have to go looking for them Mm. but if you if you go out especially on national holidays because that you know we all rally together behind japan the nationalist movement you'll find them down there and they're still you know packs of 20 30 40 whatever um riding through and doing their thing but the police kind of they they won't harass them but they will mm. know where they are quite often they're friends with it you know there's there's a, a weird connection between firefighters and Yakuza and Bosozoku as well in Japan. That's another mm-hmm. podcast. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange kind of symbiotic relationship, you know, where it's like you can be loopy and noisy, but you can't speed, for example. If you speed, well, we'll get you. Mm-hmm. No, but, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, so, I think, yeah I was going to say that was my first experience. I was, I was living out in Chiba, which is the kind of prefecture mm-hmm. to the, the north and the west of, of Tokyo. And I was living just, you know, in a, in a, government housing buildings these giant you know concrete block complexes you know 25 of them in a row because it was super cheap and every i think every sunday around 11 p.m you it was it was like a it was like a parade you could hear them coming down this giant stretch of road uh leading past past like and then like what like what the hell am i hearing and like step out on the balcony and then you just see you know they're just like (laughs) you know ripping it down the neighborhood and the neighborhood is like 85 percent people over 70 you know it's we're not we're not talking like ripping through like center city tokyo with all the young kids out there with their cell phones this is like old Mm -hmm. people retired people but this is their this is the only place that they could do it so <laughs> i thought the same thing like why let the cops stop them it's like, well this is again they're not breaking the law and they only mm-hmm. do it every sunday at 11 p.m and it only takes them like a minute to drive by so it's not really a problem <laughs> so are the, are the bikes still that weird kind of unique look or have they kind of turned into more of the chopper scene um, so I, i'll let matt fill you in on that yeah yeah look it's it's quite interesting because the the modern kind of Bosozoku is more scooter based. It's more big scooter. Oh. And those those GSX two fifties and four hundreds and the Honda Hawks, you know, CB four hundreds and the like, they're actually really sort of hard to get now. So they're still riding those, but now they're almost like a collector's item. At the time it was just that the licensing system caps you at four hundred mm. unless you want to go and spend like twenty five hundred dollars. 
which no teenager in their right mind has. You know, that's that's twice the cost of a bike. So yeah, that's what sort of what drove it. But they um, there was a few in the kind of four hundred cc four cylinder uh, stuff from the nineties that they embraced, and you'll see them around. But yeah. Yeah, it's still it's the same bikes, it's the same fairings. Oh. That weird. Mm-hmm. There's a canvas fairing as well that looks like a kind of a military police. Yeah, yeah, fairing. yeah. You'll see some of them sporting. It's like a big perspex, perspex thing on the top, and kind of a canvas shroud around the headlight. You know, um, which is again, it's there's there's some status where you're a certain type of bosses if you've got mm-hmm. that. You know, I love so, it. So I have another question about the the bikes that like are featured in the roost. Are many are like big twins. Now, those bikes have become harder to find and very expensive here. So where are they sourcing them? And is this still an affordable thing or are these considered high-end expensive bikes there? No, a lot of them are coming back out of the States. Mm -hmm. So most of the bikes, you know, I was in Japan, I was buying bikes from Australia or America um, because I think there's just so many were exported and a lot of them weren't even won't even sold that the big big board Japanese that are coming back in American stuff it came in but there's just such an appetite an right. appetite for it that it's mm. they're, they're re-importing we um we're very friendly with um one of our local independent bike shops um called Mason George Motorcycles and Mason gets a lot of you know big bore older Japanese bikes and he sends most of them exclusively to Japan now I think the last wow. 10 Z1s he's sold have gone back to hmm. Japan. Yeah, every CB750 that I bought was out of the States. Right. And yeah. California, you, you wanted them from California just from a rust perspective, you know, um, somewhere dry. But, yeah, yeah, they're, it, they're all just coming back on crates. And big know? money as well. I think he had a 74 Z1. And it was an original bike. It was nice, but it's not what I'd call a concourse bike. It was a good, honest rider, and I think he got $20,000 for it. It's a big money bike, and that went straight back to Japan. So, you know, there seems to be this voracious appetite for the domestic product now, the larger domestic product. Hmm. There's, there's also a collector mentality that runs strong, at least in the big cities. You know, like this is these guys are living in tiny little houses. You know, it's like terrace houses that you'd find in Europe. Um, but quite often, the basement, you know, like street level, if you're walking around your neighborhood, very unassuming house, but you know, a roller shutter will be open and there'll be some guy that's got five, six, seven, ten bikes, you know, and they're just and they're just collecting, you know, that would be that would be a little bit sort of beyond the normal now, you know, degrees. Do you think there's been a change? in culture in the last 20, 30 years. The only reason I ask is, having been in the motorcycle industry for as long as I have, certainly up until the mid-90s, most of the Japanese men and women that I worked with had no interest in the past. They were far more interested in the future. That it's like, we don't want to talk about what we've done. We've learned from that, but we want to talk about what we're going to be doing in 10 years' time. And there wasn't really this nostalgia. So you think this is something that's really come along since the 90s? Will, do you want to hit that? Because I think it transcends bikes. I think it's... Yeah. It's actually, it's funny you, you bring that up, Matt. I was just thinking that there is a... And I, I think I can also understand, too, as the older I get, but... 
you know, there's like a large secondhand culture in Japan. It's something that doesn't really exist like it does. It's it's not like an antique shop or flea market in the States where you see one in one town. Like there's whole districts in Tokyo that are are catered just to specific collections. Like mm-hmm. if you go to Akihabara, you can find like, you know, old video games that range from the 70s up until now, and they'll be in great condition. And there's a constant market. There's a constant group of consumers, people that are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, kind of going there looking for retro games, uh, you know, old old art books and things like that. And I think what I, again, I'm not from as an expert, you know, of the motorcycle culture, but it seems to me there's a similar kind of mentality attached to the biking scene here. Um, so you will see like younger people like that are kind of like, oh, I'm kind of interested in this bike that maybe I saw my grandfather had or, mm-hmm. you know, my, or my dad had, but never really talked about, or maybe a neighbor, he, just like Matt said, maybe some kids walking by a house and see some motorcycles in a garage and goes, hey, what the heck are those? And, you know, and the what nice about thing the is- upstairs? What about upstairs in Haywa? Remember, remember? Oh, yeah. Tell them about that one. Uh, well, yeah, if you guys remember, in the Roost, Heiwa was, uh, I think, one of the earlier writers. Um, he he had this whole se- like section, this whole loft section of, of his of his garage that was, uh, like, maybe half of the bikes were ones that he built, and the other half were just bikes he collected and was maybe going to to, to remodel or going to, you know, kind of, right. like, uh, you know, whether he, it's like, oh, maybe I'll use that for something later. Maybe a customer might want that one. But I think the the mix of didn't he have, the, didn't he have like um like homewares and a whole lot oh, of sorry. Well, he had no, no, he had like he had everything. No, it was like there was cuts, yeah. there was toys, there was like it was a whole yeah. other world. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, totally. It was getting. I was thinking of the other. He had two upstairs. One was bikes. One was like yeah, actual <laughs> antiques. No, he. It's the same thing, and and it was that was an interesting thing too because it wasn't just the. Yeah, Japanese content. It was the, he really liked Americana stuff, yeah. like these old porcelain statues and lights and you know belt buckles and ashtrays and and you know weird dolls and stuff. And he was just like, I just love all this stuff. And I, you know, we would look at it as Americans and go like, Oh, that's the kind of stuff you'd see in your your grandmother's house. That's weird. But when you see him kind of collected and the way he talks about it and how he says like, Oh, this inspired me to, you know, I like looking at these old things and then that gives me ideas for my bikes and my builds and you know, it's, it, you can kind of see it. That's, that's kind of part of the heart of the, the Japanese culture. Like that kind of like, like I said earlier, it's like, they don't want to like deep respect for tradition and, and older things. Yeah. But it's like, it's not, like I said, it's not to say they just like, they look at something and copy and paste it. It's kind of like, I really, they want to really understand it. They want to kind of like say, I'm going to commit to this thing. And then what can I, how can I then, tailor that to something that I want to build or something that I want to, you know, an image that I want to present. And I think um, you see that like Heiwa, for example, he loves retro things. And when you look at his bikes and you look at him and you look at what he collects and you can kind of see all of those things come together in his builds and they're, and they're beautiful. And like, you know, it doesn't feel like he's faking it. It feels like this is like, he's genuinely, this is like what I make this, you know what I mean? Like that's his heart right there. Each little, each little bike is like, a piece of his heart and it's kind of all those things coming together. Well, it sounds like, uh, well, you really got a, an appreciation for the yes. craftsmanship, the art. Um, and actually guess what? I have a surprise for y'all. It's game time. Oh boy. Oh yeah. <laughs> wow. So Matt and we all have no idea what's about to happen. So 
I don't either. We uh, like to play games on this show. <laughs> oh, God. And you all get to play. We're going to do a round of Chopper Trivia. And this is oh, going to be in the style of Jeopardy. So if you don't know, you have to put the answer in the form of a question. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So I'm ready to lose. We're gonna we're gonna do some <laughs> chopper trivia. See how you all do, and you are all competing. First one to shout out the correct answer wins that point. Okay. In the form of a question. In the form of a question. Are you ready? So the first one. Most people think that the word helicopter is broken up by syllable. However, it is actually made up of two parts that are helico which means spiral, and this word, which means made with wings. What is opter? What is ter? Close. What is thopter? (laughs) The first word is helico. And this- What is pter? Yes, that is correct, Brandon. Pter. Pter. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Helicopters, also known as choppers. Like pterodactyl. Pater. Okay. That's where my mind ran immediately. All right. right? This next one. This item was actually made of ivory and not wood, as many American history books once falsely claimed. In fact. This is in relation to choppers. You can view it at the museum at Mount Vernon. What are George Washington's teeth? That is correct. Wow, that was, that was a huge topic shift. <laughs> How does that relate to choppers? That's, oh, choppers, yeah. choppers. You're catching on now. You're also, catching on. Sure also, I'm not sure those were ivory. But anyway, let's go on. Okay. This item goes back to the Stone Age and can be described as a tool, but is also the preferred weapon for some serial killers. It is a rock. What is a pick? What is a hammer? What is a chisel? No. Shout it out, Bagel. What is a knife? No. What is a scythe? What is fire? Think about the theme here. What is a club? What is an uh, an axe? That is correct. Also known as a chopper. Oh, it chops. Oh, my God. You're catching. You guys are really I'm getting there. I'm a a slow slow learner here. (laughs) This item is a butcher's best friend, known for its ability to chop through bone. What is is the cleaver? That is correct. Leave it to cleaver. (laughs) Who said that? All right. I did. <laughs> well done. Okay. Will. This, <laughs> this one may be hard if you're Ooh, not uh. old enough, but we'll see if you can get it. Mm. The 1976 movie Bugsy Malone starred a young Jodie Foster and used these weapons that shot pies in this kid's version of a mobster movie. Oh, I know the movie. Shot pies. So you want to know the tool, not the the name of the movie, right? It's a mobster movie that these weapons shot pies instead of bullets. What is it, Tommy gun? I will accept that. Machine gun. 
Okay, yeah. I yes. thought if it's mobster, it, that yes, would be yes. the Tommy Yes, yes. I will gun accept era, that. Yeah. Machine guns, also known as choppers. Really? Yes. Cool. Really? Didn't know that. Huh. Okay. All right. Me we either. got one more. <clears throat> Made famous in infomercials. This kitchen item can dice, chop, and mince in seconds. Slap oh, chop. What is, what is a slap chop? <laughs> what is a slap chop? <laughs> he got it. He got it. Oh. And over, over to Vince. <laughs> my, my age doomed me. I went to the Gitsu knife. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would have been, been 90s, 90s so, era. Um, yeah. Do you feel that Vince was better hawking the slap chop or the sham wow? <laughs> the slap chop, no. undoubtedly. Yeah, I have the one. Slap chop. I'm like, I'm in. I want one. Yeah. Matt, wow. if you're not if you're not sure what the slap chop was, it was just like this the cutting device that you could chop up onions. You just slap it, slap it, You just, it, you just like it. tap the top, and you were just like, <laughs> yeah, like, it was. This, and he just chops it up. <laughs> it was nothing to do with the product, though, Matt. It was all about the pitch, man. It was this yep. very very seedy guy called Vince, and he made he made himself famous by hawking this appalling rag called the Sham Wow, and then yes. uh, moved on to the slap chop. Yep. Which was his crowning he, moment, I feel. Yes. <laughs> I think like he, he became an auto-tune meme, you know, back in the early two thousands and it was like, watch this, you're gonna love my nuts. And he was like <laughs> 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 he'd be chopping up the cashews, like who needs to chop up cashews, but he'd be cash <laughs> Of course you don't have anybody like that in Australia, do you? No, look, I honestly I think I've I've missed out on that there. I think we're based on the devices as well. I, I really need to go and uh, go and explore this one. Yes. Well, in this game, everyone is a winner except for the loser, who I think uh, Matt was the loser. Matt, no, did you I get think any of them right? No, definitive. <laughs> I was first place. Loser no, I, I, I actually <laughs> lost ahead of. I lost ahead of Matt, so I will. I will sacrifice myself as the complete loser. <laughs> no, that was fun. It was all about choppers. Well, um. I wanted to find out more about the movie. So you guys decided to do this. You said it took you 10 years or is that just, no. How, so it took you two years to do. Um, did you have fun the whole thing yourself? Oh, there's a, there's a inside oh, no. joke here. No. <laughs> just, how, how did you ahead, get Matt, the funding for it? Cause that's one of the hardest things to get a film made. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, we, we did, we did. So the, uh, the group, the group together, so three of us <clears throat> funded funded this out of our own pockets, and it really it, it's really a case of getting a little bit pregnant. You know, I think we 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 jumped <laughs> just a little, we jumped into it just a little. <laughs> you know, you know how you can do that. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a uh, beyond money. There it burnt it burnt some non renewable resources. Let's put it that way mm. um, uh, along the way, and I think every every creative project does you know probably everyone you've had on the show that's done something you know there's a little bit above and, above and beyond has has that um mm. yeah yeah but we just we just kind of began at one end and uh and st started you know trouncing our way through it um well what what do, what do you want to add to that one it was well i think it was pretty, it was pretty epic. yeah i think we we had been we had been um you know, Matt had been building. Sorry, my cat is getting a little bit noisy. Wait, what is, that, what is it saying in Japanese? I'm just curious. Uh, she's just saying "nyan," which means oh. "nyan." Nyan. So yeah, like you know, Maddie had been building bikes, and uh, we had kind of been 
already been doing video stuff together uh, through his previous like kind of job, which was mm-hmm. a, a big kind of corporate thing. And um, when he started building bikes, he's like, man, I just want to like have cool video content to go along with my bikes. So we were doing these smaller projects and we started to get, a, we did a short film was our first kind of step into like, Oh, let's, let's like put some thought into this. And we did this little short film called Tokyo dirt. We kind of went to a couple of, we went to a racetrack. We did some uh, driving around Tokyo and kind of just this kind of a cool, fun, like music video style, you know, mm-hmm. just real, a little bit of narration at the beginning and then like black and white and, and, you know, transition to color later. So it was good, pretty cool. And, you know, I think after, after that, um, we thought we need to start doing something a little bit more, you know, like bigger. And, you know, Matt had said, like, I've been meeting all these cool builders, all these cool writers. I think there's something that we, there's a story that we can tell here. And I, you know, and we just kind of thought, okay, well, let's, how can we do this? Like, what's the next step? You know, what do we need to do to get this going? And, you know, Matt sat down and said, okay, these are the, these are the writers that I want to get. These are the builders. These are the events. Let's, let's see what we can do. And um, our first, our first day of shooting for that was actually the, the Kanazawa sand flats up, uh, you know, up on the North kind of West coast of japan there's a like a flat stretch of beach and that was just like we're just gonna we're just gonna dive in like matt said like we went up there we shot for the entire day and it's some of the best footage in the movie in my opinion oh yeah you know yeah it was yeah it was like it was so much like because it wasn't just the bikes too there was there was like cars and there was like and it's people like men women kids you know all all day literally all in character yeah and like yeah so that was like, then that was it. That was like, holy crap, this is real. You know, for me, I was like, okay, well, we've been doing these little things on the side, but then it was like, okay, you're going to jump right into this massive event with like, you know, 2000 plus people on a beach in the sun all day, you know? And was, uh, yeah. And it was, it, it was, it was really, really amazing. And that kind of kickstarted the whole, the whole, whole film for us. And we knew we're like, this is something, this is, this is something great. And it's going to be, we just have to keep digging and see what else we can find. Um, and I think Will's being, Fairly humble there when he when he talks about this. In between, <laughs> no, no, no. In between Tokyo Dirt and the Roofs was a little ten minute film. Um, oh yeah, that he, that he made called Tokyo Gone, and we we noticed that he, all the good things we're saying about this this kind of Japan motorcycling world um, are, are true. But there was one thing that we were noticing, and that it was that along with along with that being historically kind of accurate, so was the the kind of place of women within this. It was yeah. very, like, ridiculously male-dominated um, on that. So we made this little piece where we sort of flipped it um, and put a, you know, a female uh, in in the lead and let her rock rock the city. And, um, yeah, it was 10 minutes and it was, it was working through some of the similar aspects, some of the similar visuals and stories, but not, not in a documentary sort of way, just in a fun, you know, Robin Hood reimagined. Um, Who was the star of that one? Uh, that one was. I'm trying to remember what was her name. What was Aki? Yukari. Yukari. Yeah. yeah. Yukari. So she's. She, but she's a real. She's a real, real writer, and um, she's really doing it. But that, I think, for me, that was the proof was in the pudding there because we did it as a. Well, this will be fun for the Japanese mm. audience, right? And we'll just use it as a bit of a to poke them with a stick a little bit, you know, and put put women in charge. And I think like one and a half million views later, um, after we kind of dropped it, we were wow. like. Well, hang on a minute. Wow. There's, yeah. there's something here. Like there's a there's a body of people and and comments like just off the chain, 
with people that were sort of connecting with this and going, oh, my God, I love this world. And again, we realised that it wasn't just us with our noses pressed against the glass. Mm. You know, there was still a long line of people from, you know, Indonesia, India, you know, Europe, America, Australia, New Zealand, you name it. But it was like pretty much every corner of the globe had left some comments on there just going, wow, we just, we love this and we love seeing it. Um, and that was something that made me think, yeah, yeah, we, we should kind of, we're, we're the guys on the inside here, but really, we just, we just share this. Matt, you know, um, I'm going to jump in because we are running quite short of time. I'm going to ask Will the same question afterwards, so I'm not just picky on you. There's going to be a lot of people who are interested in this film. What is the one thing you want people to know about the roost? And you first, Matt, and then I'll ask Will the same question. Because Look I want the two perspectives. No, I, I think if anything with two wheels and a motor has ever made you look twice, go and check it out because it's not just about the bikes. Yeah. It's about what it's about what this incredible pursuit does in every dimension of it for people's lives. And you might just find out that these are your people. Not just in Japan. They're 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 a they're a window of it, but these people exist globally. Oh god. You yeah. Know, and you, yeah. So that's my that's my uh and now the filmmaker's perspective what is the one thing will for somebody who has never seen the roost what do you want them to know before they see the film i think that the general my goal for this film was to show a side of japan that allowed people who don't know anything about motorcycles japan anything anything of that kind of cool scene can can learn that there's something here that you just didn't know about and for me, as a filmmaker, I got to go through that journey making it. I got to be introduced to this whole culture and, and walk away feeling like, oh, my God, this, this is amazing. And I think I wanted this film to feel like that kind of journey where I've had people watch it who just say, I didn't know anything about bikes. I don't care about bikes. And I love that movie. And I think that was my goal as a filmmaker. Like From the outsider looking in, I want others to feel like they're right there on the inside, too, you know, and that, yeah. That's Thank you. Behind it. Now, now we have the biggest question: Where can somebody see it? That is a very good question. Um, you can currently see it at theroostjapan.com mm-hmm. backslash watch, and um, it's currently on a it's on the uh, Toronto Motorcycle Film Festival, um, part of their VOD service. Mm-hmm. And we're looking into getting it to some other places very soon. But currently, that's the best place and the, the only place you can watch it. Is it coming up on a Rev Sisters? Um, it, it, it just me. There you go. Oh yeah, that's right. I've heard it may uh, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yes. If you could, yeah, if you have any, if, if, and this also the website has lots of information on the writers and builders in the film as well. So, if, um, you know, just through Japan is the easiest place to find that stuff. And then, um, Matt, so you did you have to leave a bike behind? Um, I left about eight bikes behind. Um, now oh, four. I've had to, oh no. I, I had to, I've got four of them sort of whizzed away uh, in what I could, what I could uh, work out for storage. I got one of them street side, um, which is is now unloved. Uh, the best oh, part no. of two years, but uh, yeah. yeah, 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 it's okay. That's no, okay. No, oh, we all feel for you. We do mm, so oh, much. The, the lost children, the lost children of these persons. Um, well, I wanted to I wanted to thank you guys for coming on and sharing. Um, 
your your film, but not just that for capturing again this this community, this this culture, this scene right. that we don't get that much exposure to, and it's really cool to see that the that there's another place of the world that the chopper scene is thriving, the the artists that are making you know bikes, putting their passion and love into the vintage style bikes. Um, and riding and racing them, and it's it's really cool to see that. I think it would be, it would be great for. I know a lot of these riders and builders are really keen to learn. Have more connections. I feel I'd be great mm-hmm. if we could ever get everyone connected. Like you know, I feel like a lot of people in America don't know about the whole scene here, but the riders and builders here are like in love with a lot of the things that are happening all over the world. I think if the roost can help open some of these doors as well, that would be great. Like people can go, Oh, Hey, I want to follow these Japanese builders on Instagram and those guys will follow, follow back. And there'll be a bigger, a bigger bridge to the communities. And I think that would be nice too. I I appreciate you coming on. Now you guys get to make a decision. We still have uh, some more time and we are going to cover choppers. The Emma's going to talk quickly about the origin of the choppers and then bagels going to cover scooter choppers you guys are welcome to stay if you want or if you need to bump out and get on your life i get it too um i just wanted to thank you for reaching out and sharing this because we all really loved it it's a real gem no thank you both for making such a bloody marvelous film i enjoyed every minute of it thank you thank you guys for having us on and it's really been an honor and i really appreciate that you had us here yeah so thank you so much. Yeah. So yeah, you're welcome to stay if you want. Um, because Emma, I wanted to talk about the whole, the chopper scene, the, scene, the, the origins, where does the term chopper? Ah, come from? you see, that's a wonderful question. And in a lot of ways, you know how you refer to a vacuum cleaner as a Hoover. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it kind of smacks of that. And we'll actually get into the origins of where it started, how it started, why it started, and how it progressed. So let's go back to the Second World War. Okay, let's. Let, we're going to transport ourselves back to the Second World War. Um, for America, it was 1942 through 1945. And as part of the campaign, America's role was a great producer of vehicles not just for the American troops, for all of the Allies. Mm. And Harley-Davidson, an Indian, produced thousands upon thousands of military motorcycles, a lot of which were ridden in European theater, a lot of which were ridden... People are still pulling, like, WLAs out of attics There you go, WLA, the bike that won the war. A lovely piece of machinery. It's a 750cc... Side valve, V-twin, classic Harley-Davidson styling. So, <laughs> the war ended at the end of 1945. We all know this. This is history. But what are the people that fought in the war? So, let's take... Um, what, uh, and what were you riding then? Oh, I, I had already been through so many motorcycles. And, you know, I was I was retired from my first So you job. got rid of the steam bike. I got rid of the steam yeah. bike by mm-hmm. then, which I bought directly from Isambard Kingdom Brunel, <laughs> I'll have you know. And he let me wear his hat on occasion. <laughs> Lucky Emma. So, um, so let's take our imaginary friend Joe. And Joe 
was the tail gunner in a B-17. Okay. And as you can imagine, um, he led quite an exciting life during the Second World War and probably was quite terrified most of the time. Well, the war's over. And Joe is now finding himself living in the Midwest in a very sedentary lifestyle. You know, he's got to go out, earn his keep. Working start at a the family, grocery store. Working at the grocery store. Herding sheep right. back in the farm. And the excitement of shooting Messerschmitt <laughs> 262s out of the sky is a little missing. But he's got money in his pocket. And guess what? The market is being flooded with ex-army WLA 45 motorcycles. He can buy himself a Harley-Davidson cheaply. And as a bonus, this camaraderie that he had with the, with the crew of the B-17, he can find in the local motorcycle club. So mm -hmm. this is kind of like the soup that started the whole process. So you can, there's a glut of cheap bikes. There's a glut of still very young men who are craving excitement and needing the camaraderie. So, you know, Emma, that's something that really speaks to me, and I'm sure to you as well. Oh, um, absolutely. That, that camaraderie is something that really, really gets me in the motorcycle community. It's something that I miss from the military. Well, certainly in Britain, when I was starting my motorcycling career, not as Eliza suggests in the 19th century, but in the 1970s in Britain, you know, it was this close-knit motorcycle community that really brought me in. So we'll go back to Joe. So he buys himself his ex-army WLA-45. And as just about everybody did, he found it a little overweight. It got a giant front fender. It had got a giant rear fender. It got all kinds of extraneous military crap on it. And it's all slowing you down. It's all slowing you down. So you find that instead of riding it around Europe and shooting Germans, now you want to ride it in a group on faster roads. So you need performance. So the chop, the, the irony of the chopper culture, it was really born out of performance initially. If you take that giant front fender off, if you cut down the rear fender, if you take the giant military seat and the saddlebags and the saddlebag frames and the gun holder and all the military stuff off it, You've got a lighter weight bike that's at least 100 pounds lighter is going to go power faster because it's that power to weight ratio, right? Matt was telling me carbon fiber. Why do we love carbon fiber? Because it's so lightweight and strong. You can't escape the power to weight ratio. So what these guys were doing were they were literally chopping up military bikes and riding in groups. So immediately... You've got young men looking for adventure, riding in a group on cut-down military bikes. And if you take a military WLA-45, take all the crap off it, well, that looks like a chopper. Now, mm -hmm. the reality is what they did would be known as a bobber now. And I want to talk a little bit about the, the difference between a chopper and a bobber. A chopper, as we know it, has an extended fork, has high handlebars, is maybe has an extended neck, a tiny fuel tank, and a bobber is a chunkier motorcycle that's kind of cut down at the back. 
if we think about Easy Rider, because that's a very, very good yardstick to ride, the two bikes in Easy Rider was Captain America and the Billy Bob bike. The Billy Bob bike was far more of a bobber. It was a shorter bike. It had um, just a cut-down rear fender. It was altogether chunkier. It had a full-size fuel tank. The Captain America bike was longer. It was leaner. It had the high sissy bar. It had the very extended forks and the high handlebars. That's more of a traditional chopper. But back in 46, everything was a chopper because they were literally chopping these bikes up. And it is quite ironic that it had to do with performance and handling, making the bike better. And what you see the arc of the choppers where it went to bikes that performed horribly. Right. Uh, but that's one thing I love about the roost and that scene is those bikes are being ridden and ridden hard. Right. So if we go back to the beach scene in the roost, mm-hmm. the Harley Davidsons going down the beach are far more of the purity of design yes. that we'd see throughout America in the late 40s and early 50s of these bikes that were being built in people's sheds, in people's homes, by not skilled craftsmen. You know, some of them were built to a very, very high standard. Your job in the Air Force, your job in the Army, you may have just been a gunner, not just an infantryman. You may have been an engineer, and work to a high standard. And did you comment on one of the the traits that carried over from the airplanes to the choppers on the side of the tank? What the teeth? The pinup girls. Well, I thought yeah, that's something I love. That's why the bomber, the bomber nose up. Yeah, that's yeah. why on my chopper I had a pinup girl painted on it as a tribute. I hate to tell you this, Liza. That came later. Ah. The order of the day. Back then, these were rudimentary bikes. I mean, mostly you'd buy them at auctions, and they were army green. Everything was army green. So guess what? Pot of flat black paint soon put that right. Yeah. And if you had access to money, well, that's great. Maybe you want to get it painted. Maybe you want to get it chromed. But the initial bikes were very, very rudimentary. Let's go back to that film, The Wild One. Now, The Wild One was based on an actual incident that happened in Hollister in the late 1940s. And it was a motorcycle gang who happened to be ex... I believe the one gang were um, ex-Royal Army Air Force... Not Royal Army Air Force, forgive me. U.S. Army Air Force personnel who were one gang out of San Francisco and... They rode into Hollister for the weekend on cut-down bikes. And then there was a rival gang who were based, I believe, out of Oakland. And everyone converged on this little town. And we all know the story. But it's great revisiting that film and actually looking at the bikes that were presented. Of course, the lead, Marlon Brando, was riding a Triumph in it. And those were by no means uncommon. Triumphs and BSAs and Nortons were very revered. Because of the lightweight, they were a more performance bike. Um, but again, it's full of these very well, rudimentary the, choppers. No, I was just going to say that in on that bike scene, I think the British stuff 
was until the Sportster came out in, you know, like what was it, late 50s, early 60s? Absolutely. There, was, there wasn't anything that could compare. So they literally were rocket ships by comparison. Yeah. Right. So and they, it was they, always the this. The crowd was working hard to keep up. Yeah. It was always this quest to lose weight to get the power up. Because, you know, a WLA, it's not a powerhouse. I mean, it's about a 35, 40 horsepower engine on a good day. So if you can get a lot of the weight up, you could nearly catch your mate on a triumph. But I absolutely agree with you, Matt, until the Sportster came along. And the Sportster changed everything, because now the Sportster and the Bonneville were, you know, a good match. A good rider on the Sportster could catch a Bonneville. Conversely, a good rider on a Bonneville was a good match for a Sportster. So let's talk a little bit about Easy Rider and the cultural change this cataclysmic change it had i'm going to talk very very briefly about one of the greatest injustices ever perpetrated in motorcycling <laughs> and i'm not gonna i i always try and present both sides of the coin i'm not here to say why it was i'm going to give you an idea you can form your own conclusions Easy Rider, we talked briefly about the bike, so let's talk about the Captain America bike. The Captain America bike was a quintessential chopper. What people don't realize is that kind of bike had been around since the early 60s, predominantly in LA, and it was the black, the African-American bike gangs who really perfected that design and so now we get into one of what i feel is the great in, greatest injustices easy rider came out in 1969 and peter fonda always credited himself with designing those bikes there's two schools of thoughts we found out later that they weren't designed by peter fonda the bikes were actually designed by um two guys mm -hmm. Clifford Stoney Vaughan, and he was the actual designer, and it was built by Ben Hardy. These were two black guys who were working in southern L.A. at the time, and it was wow. absolutely classic mm -hmm. of their design. And the, Captain, the oranges of the Captain America bike go back to 1964. So here's the two points of view. Easy Rider came out only six years after the Freedom Buses went through the South, mm. there was still that culture prevailing. And the filmmakers, I'm not entirely sure whether the filmmakers considered that crediting African-American builders would hinder their film. That's the one point of view. The other point of view is far more benign. Peter Fonda, he was trying to make a name for himself in biker culture and saying that he'd design these bikes would just make him that bit cooler. I'm kind of tending towards the latter. It's up to you to make a conclusion about what happened. But up until recently, the two original builders were never credited. And it was only really in the early 2000s that they even found out who built these bikes. But that was the quintessential chopper. Then everything kind of went 
quiet until the late 90s. And then the scene that you talked about, Liza, really exploded. And it almost became a parody of itself. And I would say that actually Arlen Ness was part of that bridge. He well, was he there, had a foot in both he, camps. In both camps when the when the Sportster came out and that became a great platform. Right. All the way up to the just really ridiculous, crazy builds. So the thing is fascinating, though, is the chopper scene. It came and has never gone away. It's always been here in some form or another, somewhere in the world. But there's a scene I'm curious about that I don't know that much about. But I have I have a feeling that Bagel might be able to answer us. Bagel. Bagel! Is there yeah. a chopper scooter scene? Yes, there actually is. Don't you tell um, don't you tell me it's out of England because I will <laughs> wring your neck. It is out of England. <laughs> I knew that already. <laughs> yes. It originated, I believe, in the mid to late 70s, yes. where, uh, where scooters had, had been, up to that point, they had been um, basic transportation you know, for you know, people of, of modest means, and, and they were ubiquitous. Scooters were everywhere in England. And so in the 70s, uh, as I understand it, uh, youth who were just kind of bored and had, you know, looking for something to get into. Disaffected, darling. Disaffected youth. Disaffected youth, yes. Decided to to just have fun with these scooters. And inspired, I'm sure, in some part by American chopper culture, they said, well, let's let's see what we can do with chopping up these scooters. And because scooters were largely, you know, they had a lot of sheet metal on them, it was pretty easy to remove a lot of panels and just unbolt stuff. And you have, you're just down to the basic frame of the bike. <clears throat> and in some cases they'd put on, you know, very slender uh, fenders instead of these big mud guards. Um, and uh, they would, they would rake the forks out and make them mm-hmm. longer. Um, and, and it, it, it's sort of a movement that grew over time and people got more and more elaborate with the, with the designs as time went on. And by the time the eighties came around, scooter choppers in England became just the most over the top, (laughs) incredibly gaudy things you can possibly imagine where they would take, not only would they stretch the front forks, they would do like twisted wrought style Mm -hmm. designs for the front forks and then plate them in gold. (laughs) And then somebody decided that's not enough. We're going to engrave them. After yeah. you know, twisting these forks, engrave them with all sorts of intricate designs, and then plate them in gold. <laughs> and, and and this this whole chopper scene just kind of went absolutely insane. Um, there there was all sorts of of top notch paint jobs being applied to these bikes with with themed uh, paint schemes, where it would be the theme of a movie or the theme of a, a band or a song even. Um, and they'd have, you know, photos airbrushed onto, you know, the frame of the bike or the tank or something. Um, and, and it's, it, it's, it is, it, I think that the, it's largely waned from its peak, but there still are a significant number of scooter choppers out there in the world. Um, 
And and even though it started in England, it it, it influenced a lot of people in the rest of Europe, especially in Germany. Um, it influenced a lot of people in the United States as well. Um, in fact, I know of one guy down in the, in uh, the South Bay who built a fantastic uh, chopper back in the day that was just won all sorts of awards. Um, and I've I saw it came up for sale a couple of years ago and went to uh, they got went to, went to somebody bought it somewhere, but. Uh, but yeah, there the the influence of of, chop, of chopper scooters has gone far and wide, and and even though it's fairly limited these days, it still it still does live on, and there are still people that are building building these to this day. I think that's fascinating, and is that also evident in Japan? Is there scooter choppers? Have you guys seen that there? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's mental, and I think it went so far as to go full circle. It influenced the designers of scooters. So there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of these long. One of them is called the Joker model, but it's that it's almost like if Alan Ness had applied it to a scooter with this long, drawn out, yeah. you know, fender at the back, a lot of chrome and everything, um, the drag bars and the like. But no, no, no. Full circle being the ruckus. I actually oh, I look oh. at the subculture that is that is there. And now Honda obviously built that specifically as the best you know, kind of anti-establishment raw platform for you to do what you're going to do with. Bagel. Almost feeding in raw material to that. You will have to apologize to me, Bagel. You have to apologize to me right now. Well, yeah. That's my, that's there, my, there, no, there is that's my huge, take on it. That's thank my you. Because there, I, there is, well, I made I the say, same connection and I said, I can, I'm going to say that the ruckus is the byproduct of chopper scooters and that is a factory chopper and he said don't you dare say that i'm okay i'm not sure if that was honda's intention that's that's how it worked out just say i was right just say i was right well let me let me let me (laughs) let me catch this there's a lot of layers here because (laughs) the 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 ruckus was now your your claim liza was that this was a a factory chopper it's factory chopper because yeah no it's 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 nothing of the sort because the ruckus is meant as a utilitarian bike. Mm-hmm. And this is more along the lines of the um what was that bike? The 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 um uh the 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 Are you talking about the Honda? No, no, there was uh like um oh, what's that uh the, the Cushman hunt hunter Oh no, you put the motor the the motor truck. Was that the one um, with the press steel sides and uh I'm not sure if that's the well, one, but there, there was there was a Cushman model that was made back in the 60s. It was a very utilitarian bike. Uh, I think it was like the Huntsman or something like that it was called. And there have been a number of other very utilitarian bikes over the years. And and before the little ruckus came out, the, the Honda came out with the big ruckus first. That was the 200cc that absolutely was a farm you know, implement sort of utilitarian mm-hmm. type of bike. The Little Ruckus was just a smaller version of that. Now, the fact that that bike was then latched onto by a a very uh, enthusiastic young customization community in both Japan and the U.S. who shared lots of of cross uh, cross pollination back and forth. Um, that's kind of what turned it into a chopper-like sort of thing, if you want to think of that. Um, it has nothing to do with the original design being a minimalistic design. That's just utilitarian 
just the utilitarian approach that they took for both the big and the little ruckus. The the whole customization of putting GY6 motors and stretching the little ruckus out. Bagel. That, that became its own whole thing, com- which is completely separate and independent from vintage Bagel. European chopper scooter culture. I'm going to hold my ground. The ruckus is a chop scooter and you can't handle the truth. There well, you go. I'm going to have to love you and leave you, but I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm on that. I, <laughs> I reckon it's full circle. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I wanted to thank you guys again for coming on and uh, sharing. I mean, we can talk about choppers and scooters and the custom scene forever. It's something that is a huge part of the motorcycle world that and and scooter that we live in. And it's I, I'm so I'm so grateful to see uh, into you know, the Japanese scene. So I hope you guys have more stuff coming down the pipe because we can't get enough. <laughs> well, let's just, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to whatever comes next too. I so. think maybe the chopper scooter scene might be the next. <laughs> that could be fun. It totally <laughs> would. Really or, would or really, There's honestly, a lot of history there. the Bosozoku. I would love to see more of that because it is so unique and so interesting Mm -hmm. and so much of the world doesn't even know. I didn't know until someone gave me this book and I'm like, what the heck? So, you know, we're we're not against delving into slightly controversial subjects on misfits. And I mean, this association with this deeply nationalistic party you know that's kind of interesting. I think that yeah. they would, they would pull their ranks from Bosazuku culture. Yeah, so yeah. maybe we can talk about that at some stage Let's in the future. Let's look into it. Let's look into it. I got to, yes. I got to fly, guys. Thank you so thank much. Thank you Absolute so much. Pleasure. A pleasure. Right. Thank you, Matt. Right. Thank yeah. you, Will. Okay. And I will thank put you guys a link. Very much. I'll put a link thanks in so our show well. notes for people to find your movie. Perfect. Thank you, All right. guys. Thanks, guys. Wonderful Ciao. to be here. Thank All right. you, guys. Bye. So right. take care. I think we have time for a couple emails. Um, Bagel, I sent you one. Uh, I'm going to read one real quick. And this one is our friend Greg. And he says, hey, I'm signed up for uh, Kat and Emma's Italian Dolomites ride. (laughs) So excited. How can I get more info about this Stumpa-Stan ride? I might do that one, too, if it's later in the year. Well, it is in May. So it's sooner in the year. But it's not too late. Uh, thanks, Liza, for a wonderful podcast and your team's inspiration for all things motor-related. Your Gary Davis interview is just fantastic. Despite technical challenges, I really enjoyed it. That was one of my favorites, Emma. Yeah, it was. Gary Davis, wasn't... that was a huge get for me. Um, Evil Knievel's, uh, you know, buddy and, oh, absolutely. and replacement rider. That was, ugh, Emma, stop it. All right, um, Emma, you have a couple there that are quite long. Yeah, so no, I, I do. And I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut them down. So I have a, I have an email here from Cam Cole. Hey, Cam. Um, hello again, Liza. I had a day off work, so I finally decided to do the Patreon thing and to email the misfits too. So Cam has actually sent me a, um, a very nice question. I asked Miss Emma. However, um, Cam, I've got to cut this email down, darling, because it is so long. Um, he asked a couple of questions about Corbin seats and Vetter mm-hmm. fairings. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a history hole on both. Well, we've... No, about the actual products, not about the people. Okay. 
So I'm going to do a history hold on both. Well, I, I, we have interviewed both of them. Yes. And, and have uh, past episodes that cover both of them. And well, it might be history. time to dip into them okay. again. Okay. So I'll do that. Anyway, um, I've got to say this week's episode was great. I tried to stay up to date on this newfangled elastic trickery technology <laughs> about bikes of the future. But he's got a lot of old two strokes as well. Um, RD 400, Titan 500. GT380, mm. not too shabby. S2350, that's Kawasaki. H1 with an H2 engine in it. Call the blimeys. And they're all unfinished or unstarted products. Well, that's the misfit way, Cameron, darling. Um, so, bum, 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 where are we? Um, uh, he's talking about a lot of... About Vetter, and I will. I would like to really dip into. You know, we have talked to Craig about his journey, but I don't remember talking about the products and the development of the Vetter fairing. And I think it'd make a bloody great history hole. So I'm going to do it. We should answer that. I um, guess I can't stop you. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, you can't. Tralala. Emma goes her own way. So Cam, I know I've hacked your email to bits, and I do apologize, darling, but you have inspired me to do a history hole on Veta fairings and the development of Veta fairings and how we came about the design, all the weird and wonderful knockoffs there were around the seventies, and. Good old Mike Corbin. We love him. We love his seats. We love his offshoots of his seats. And we're going to do a history hole on that lot as well. Tra-la-la. What right. do you have to All say right. about that? Cool. All right, then. All right. Bagel, you got one there? <clears throat> I do. Okay. I, I have an email here from, from Andreas Gerler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. From, from the, the Federal uh, Trademark Agency of, of Germany. Oh, yeah. Emma. He writes, hi, misfits. Here is another one for Bagel to read. <laughs> yeah. I was just listening to episode 460. I know I am a little bit behind. Garage days were pretty noisy lately. I was building brake caliper mounting brackets to get my Beamer R65 to 1990 standards. Four piston calipers. Now we can finally stop and not just deaccelerate. <laughs> With the new brake lines in the next days, I finally get a rate of one in three again. <laughs> you can't have enough project bikes, can you? Yeah. Another pro tip, preheat the metal before putting paint on it. Not only if you have 50 degrees Fahrenheit in your shop. Yes, good idea. Actually, yeah. and I'd like to add to that pro tip, I heat my cans of paint on a heater Ooh, beforehand. Nice. Well, you've got to be careful that you don't overheat them. I'll tell you what, smashing for the job is a saucepan (laughs) full of hot water and just drop them in. Yes. However, as you asked for a Knight Rider motorcycle remake, I instantly thought about the the short-living cousin, Street Hawk. Street Hawk. Oh, yes, I remember Street Hawk. Still watchable after almost 40 years. With all of this sea thing going on, we finally booked now three weeks of motorcycle fun for March 2023 in L.A. 
Oh, cool. So if you have any suggestions where to stop besides Santa Cruz and Marina, we are still early in the planning. Looking forward to not only leaving a letter this time as I did in 2017. So long, Andy from Hamburg. Thanks, Andy. So Andy from Hamburg, um, part of being in LA is star spotting. And... There is no better place to meet Hollywood stars on their motorbikes than Neptune's Net Mm -hmm. on a Sunday Mm. morning. And Neptune's Net is on Highway 1 in Malibu. And I was going to add, depending upon which way you're coming up, because coming up, one keeps collapsing. So if you're coming up 101, stop in Solving for the Motorcycle Museum there. Uh Uh-huh. And there's also the Hearst Castle. That's mm-hmm. that's worth a visit. Uh, and the elephant seals, opulence. yes, American opulence. Yeah. Um, and and if and because Highway One is is probably going to be having some closures because mm-hmm. of uh, landslides, uh, I would recommend also taking uh, Highway Twenty Five on the inland route, uh, which is also uh, continues into Indian Valley Road and Peachtree Road. I think it is. It's a wonderful little uh, rural road that goes right along the San Andreas Fault uh, going up California. So if you can't get through on the coast, that makes a great substitute for uh, for riding north. Awesome. All right. And I think we got time for one more. This one is from Joe. Hello, Joe. He says, hey, y'all. My name hey, is Joe. Joe from Atlanta, Georgia, but originally from Chicago, Illinois. I am a long-time listener. but Read figured... it in the accent, Liza. I, I've, I got it in the Atlanta, Georgia accent. What are you talking about? No, son? he's from he's Illinois. Chicago. Oh, no, no. He's he's, no, you acclimate. When you're down in the South, you acclimate. <sighs> But he says, but I figured I'd give this email thing a shot. You can thank the Degenerate Drinking Podcast that occasionally talks about motorcycles (laughs) over in Cleveland for sending me your way. I am who? Cleveland. Who are they? (sighs) Moto. I am a young lad at 23. Oh, he is. He's very young. Currently ride a 2019 Yamaha MT, Master of Tickets, 09. But have also had many other bikes in the few years I have been riding. I love dirt riding and would love to get back into it once I can figure out a way to facilitate it again as I had to give it up for college and starting my career. So thank you all for stoking the fires and allowing me to live vicariously in the dirt through you. I also will be attending the Stumpastan trip, which I am very excited for. Previously, I've only visited Canada outside of the U.S., so this should prove to be quite the memorable adventure. Oh, yes, it will. I have a question regarding mileage on bikes. My MT already has about 17,500 miles on it and counting, and I've put about 1,000 of those on since purchasing it two months ago. What would you consider high mileage for a modern motorcycle and also a classic motorcycle? Uh, if there is a difference. Uh, also, have you ever had to replace a motor because you had so many miles on the bike that it was just easier to get a new motor and keep the rest? I love my bike and plan to keep it until the wheels fall off of these. So uh, th- so these are some of the things I've been thinking about. Emma, please tell me why <laughs> don't more motorcycle manufacturers produce bikes with underbelly exhaust similar to the MT-09 Ninja 650 um, and the MT-07, what is the purpose of having a big honking pipe sticking out the back something like a CBR-1000 RRRR? 
Cheers, y'all from Atlanta. Stay safe and healthy, and I wish you many miles of smiles. So let's, I think I think I read this one last week, didn't I? Uh, oh, did you? <laughs> I think I did. Oh, my bad. <laughs> my bad. Um, well, let's just answer it but, anyway. Do you want to talk about it? Well, just the Some mileage more? on the bikes. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we did talk. Yeah, like 100,000 is easy. Oh, yeah, easy. Not so it totally depends on the bike, too. And underbelly exhaust, um, I think it's harder because you have that heat displacement you got to deal with. And uh, that can be hard. Well, wait, 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 wait a minute. There's far more bikes with underbelly exhaust than under seat exhaust. Well, yeah, but it has to come up over the tail and under the seat. That's yeah, what I'm talking about. Exactly. Nonsense. It's he- absolute nonsense, I tell you. Because it's just a lot easier to stick it out the side. Yeah, exactly. It's cost effective. And, yeah. you know, where are you going to put the battery? All bikes I know that have under-seat exhaust that go under the belly and then up and over under the seat. With a bloody battery. It's always in an odd spot, like sitting. You, yeah. Right, because you can't put the battery right above the exhaust because you'll cook it. Right, exactly, because right? elastic trickery is heat sensitive. Yes, I, I just remember going back to the chopper scene. Yes. When I was watching those biker build-off movies, and there was one, was it? I don't remember if uh, it was Bill, Billy from... Uh, anyway, one of them had put an under-seat exhaust like he'd seen on sport bikes, but on this chopper. And as they're riding, his seat caught on fire. Nice. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, heat shield there. So, and, you know, it's funny because sometimes when these guys were building these bikes, it was they're, they're trying to be innovative and creative, and they didn't yeah. always... Think it out. They didn't through. think it through. All the parts through, yeah. Yeah, kind exactly. Of sometimes. I know. Well, hey, man, this is our Chopper podcast. We we haven't really talked a lot about choppers, yeah. but it's something that I really appreciate. And so many people think I'm like, I don't like Harleys. No, I love all the things, and I do appreciate choppers. Don't do it, Emma. Don't do it, Emma. I've muted you. Ha, 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 ha. I got to take away that fart machine from her. Um, But yeah, I think we all appreciate choppers, custom bikes, the, the craft that goes into it. And, you know, be it a chopped up or bobbed or cafeed, whatever you start from, um, if it's done well, and this is where, I, I kind of cast some shade on, on people when they show up and like, look, I took a chop saw and I cut this thing off. And like, you really have to think it through and make things flow and fit. And, and that's yep. again, what I said to the guys, the thing I appreciate most right. in a custom bike are the things you don't see. The things, but yeah, misfits is a very welcoming and loving environment for everyone. And we are that way with bikes as well. Everything is valid. Everything is appreciated. Everything is looked at and scrutinized and liked. It's that kind of environment. And if we were to say, oh, everyone's welcome here except of choppers or except Harley Davidson's, that's not the misfit Mm. way. So we like everything. Exactly. Except scooters. What? (laughs) <laughs> you know what else i like t-shirts i oh, thought yeah. you like pie yeah i like pie too oh i um, love pie so here's my announcement so i have now shipped out all the shirts 
to all of our Patreon subscribers who get it. Bagel, did yours arrive yet? It did arrive. Yay. Yeah. Do you like do you like the new colors, Bagel? I do. I think they're lovely. Um, so I now have shirts for sale. Um, right. so uh if you're interested in one of our new shirts, it is $25 shipped to you anywhere in the US. And all you have to do is send me an email or sorry, a, a PayPal for $25 include your size. I only have small through extra large. Sorry, we are out of double XL and bigger sizes. Um, Cause there were so many people who jumped onto Patreon who were those double uh, XLs. I didn't order enough. So small through XL, if you would like one, Send me a PayPal to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com and put your size in the notes and I will ship it out and you can get one of these new fancy dancy shirts. Um, I think that's it. We, uh, for anyone who is interested in coming on any of our trips, uh, I am putting the links in the show notes. Also, I put them on our brand new website. There are Abs- links to all of all our right. trips. There. Absolutely. Um, If you are on the fence about joining Kat and Emma's Alpine Adventure, you'd better get your shit together right now because we are getting close to being sold out. Um, Another couple of spots, we're done. Because there is a minimum amount of people that can go on the trip to make it viable, but there's every inch a maximum amount as well. And once we reach that number, and I believe that number is 20, that's it. The trip can't exist anywhere beyond that number. So sign up for it. It's going to be great. You get to hang out with me and Kat, and we're cool people. And we get drunk and do silly things, which makes it all the more fun. And we like eating schnitzel. And if you've never had schnitzel before, oh, dear God, you're missing out. Oh, my mm. word. So go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. Check out the new website. Follow the links to all those things. Eventually, I'm going to figure out how to get the, the T-shirts for sale up there. I'm, 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 I'm figuring it out as I go, but I shall, we'll have those pictures up soon. And this is a time where I get to thank all of our Patreon subscribers. You guys are great. We've got so many people who got free shirts and right. uh, really are supporting us. And I'm going to be using that for our big 500th episode party. Um, but also, uh, tonight I wanted to give a big thanks to Emma and Bagel. And here's why. Oh. Um, you know, uh, you know, all the other guys are out doing other stuff. And, you know, we do this week in, week out, and you get different misfits coming in. But I can always rely on Emma and Bagel to be there. And that's what keeps us going. So I wanted to thank you guys for, oh, thank for you, being darling. there and, and the contribution you make. And, well, thanks, and, and, you know, even with a topic like this, we all had something to contribute to it. So I hope everyone else enjoyed your your stories and input as well. If you would like to send us an email, send it to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. And in fact, I guess I'll announce, I did also get MotorcyclesAndMisfits at gmail.com. And so if you're going through the website, that's the new email there. They all come to me. If you just don't want to type in that many letters. So I think we're ready to get out of here. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. This is Eliza. Emma Darling. Bagel. And we are out of here. Bye.
Ko-ko. Ko-ko.